What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. I'm Ron. We missed a couple videos last week. I was under the weather, and one of the most requested videos you guys had was Ron. Please, can we get the top 10 lessons learned video? I didn't get to it last week, but we're back and better today. We're going to go through my top 10 lessons learned, observations, takeaways from the Sunday that we just had yesterday, where we're going to talk through. Jets win victory Monday. We have the 2021 quarterbacks coming in crazy. We have the aftermath of the trade deadline, all of that good stuff and more. So let's not waste any time. If you enjoy the video, make sure down below, subscribe, leave a like. Let's go. Thirsty, thirsty, trying to choose. I mean, I know I'm critical. My All right, so our first takeaway is the 2021 quarterback class bounced back in a massive way. This is the top 10 quarterbacks in EPA per play plus CPOE composite. Now, Ron, what the hell is that? Well, EPA per play is expected points added per play. Expected points added is just a measure of how well a team performs relative to expectations. For example, if a team starts to drive on the 50-yard line, its expected points to start the drive would be about two and a half. So if the team ends that drive in a field goal, gaining three points, they were only expected to get two and a half, then that's 0.5 expected points added so what are you bringing to the table over like sort of what your offense is expected based on field position and down in distance and all of that good stuff and then completion percentage over expectation is cpoe which is just based on your a dot what should your completion percentage be and then subtracted by your actual completion percentage how much better on your throws were you than ex expectation and when we see here when you take into account you know what did you bring to the table on offense epa per play and were you throwing well given your A dot with CPOE? This is how the quarterbacks sort of lined up for this week. And we have three 2021 quarterbacks in there. We have Trevor Lawrence at two, Justin Fields at six, Zach Wilson at eight. A huge, huge week for all of us who, you know, love the 2021 quarterback class. It's like the best quarterback class we've seen in a while with Fields and Trey Lance and Trevor Lawrence, who's supposed to be like this next Andrew Luck. And for the past, you know, year and a half, they have not lived up to expectation, but we had all of them go crazy yesterday in unison. You have Justin Fields, the obvious standout, 178 rushing yards, breaking Michael Vick's game, regular season game record for most rushing yards, 40-plus fantasy points. He's the QB3 in points per game since week five. He also threw three passing touchdowns yesterday. He looks amazing. Uh, I think in terms of just rushing threat, 178 speaks for itself. If there were any questions of if Justin Fields could be in that uh, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray territory as a rusher of the football, right? I think that he still has ways to go as a, as a thrower. But when it comes to being a rushing threat and giving you those points on the ground, I think that he is right in there with the Lamars, with the Kylers, with the Jalen Hurts. It's just going to come down to where his arm can take him. I think right now he's on that Jalen Hurts, Lamar, Kyler trajectory, but you know, he could end up being kind of Daniel Jones-ish in the worst case scenario. Now, we also have Trevor Lawrence, who had a low-key great day. He was only like the QB 11 on the week. I don't think that it's a huge storyline what he did here, but he got a win versus the Raiders. He had the second best PFF pass grade this week. He had an 80% completion percentage. He was fifth in yards per attempt this week, and he was second in EPA per play plus CPOE composite. And then, of course, Zach Wilson, another one that wasn't a great fantasy day, but I think for real life, you know, just optimism towards the future on this draft class, all of these guys crushed. Zach Wilson didn't have a great fantasy day, didn't really fill up the numbers or uh, the stat sheet, but this was one of his best games from an EPA, CPOE perspective, huge win versus the Bills, probably the Jets' biggest win 
since like beating the Patriots in like the wild card round of the playoffs or the divisional round of the playoffs with Sanchez, just insane double digit underdogs at home. And by no means did Zach Wilson win this game, right? He didn't make like crazy throws. He didn't throw for 300 yards and beat the Bills that way. But he sort of had a Jimmy G-esque game manager performance, which I think we'll take that all day over him, you know, throwing three picks and being all over the place versus the Patriots. I also loved one of the sneaky stats from Sunday is how much of an emphasis that I, I want to say LaFleur and Zach Wilson put on Zach Wilson making, you know, quick decisions within structure where he, he's been doing this thing this season where he'll almost like in like a little kid in Madden where he'll take the snap, maybe look at the first read and then start running backwards. And then he'll run backwards, maybe spin away from somebody and then finds himself like in this pocket, like 15 yard or like 10 to 15 yards behind line of scrimmage, like right next to the sideline, trying to make something weird happen. And that's where he threw like two interceptions last week. That's where a lot of the scary stuff happens for Zach Wilson. So they sort of cut that out and they got his time to throw. That's been at three, three seconds, 307 seconds has been what it's been on the entire year. They got it down to 2.39 seconds time to throw yesterday, which was the fifth fastest on the day, the fastest time to throw of his entire career, which is really, really promising. Now, I will say where Zach Wilson has that ceiling is if you look at the Titans game when he rolls out to the side, he's directing traffic downfield. He's got Corey Davis down there, chucks it to one of them. And I think that we'll see that eventually. I think that that's part of his upside case is that Mahomes type stuff on the run outside of structure. But I think it's really important for him right now to just... Let's learn the fundamentals first. Let's sit in the pocket. Let's drop back. Let's go through our progressions, go from there. Because it just seemed like he was almost bailing out of plays after the first read and trying to play outside of structure and forcing that. I think if he sort of lets that part of the game come to him naturally after he sort of, you know, becomes the, the pocket passer and processor that the Jets want him to be, I think that's where the upside comes in. I will say, Zach will, I mean, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, I think that these guys are going to be studs in the NFL. Uh, Zach Wilson, probably a tier below that. Even as a Jets fan, he didn't have an amazing game yesterday. He's probably more, you know, he's probably more, you know, like kind of like Jared Goffish. Like it almost uh, reminds me of like LaFleur kind of pulling the puppet strings on Zach Wilson, like it was with McVay and Goff. But I hope that Zach Wilson makes me eat my words there. But regardless, encouraging win in the way that he doesn't look like a complete, you know, liability out there, right? He didn't cost us a win versus the Bills. He made some clutch throws. He had a 75-yard touchdown drive versus a very good defense. He had a drive at the end of the game. He hit Mims on, I want to say, third and five, which is hilarious, um, which we'll actually, we'll actually use that to sort of segue into our next takeaway, which is the Elijah Moore no-show. Um, and Mims was out there. He ran 25 routes. Garrett Wilson ran 28. He ran, Mims ran 25 routes to Elijah Moore's 14. Um, the good news is Elijah Moore, after last week, he ran less routes than Jeff Smith and Braxton Berrios. He has passed them on the depth chart. 14 routes run to uh, Braxton Berrios' 11 and Jeff Smith's 2, but he still ran less than half of the routes. He ran less routes than Mims. He had zero targets, and you have Corey Davis coming back after the bye. So I wish I had some silver line to tell you with Elijah Moore, but, I mean, he was inactive. He played behind Jeff Smith and Berrios last week. And then this week he played, played in front of them. Maybe he leapfrogged somebody, but Corey Davis, Corey Davis really, 
or not Corey Davis, but Denzel Mims has almost like really earned himself some routes here. The Jets like him within the organization, which is like tough for, you know, a lot of us that like Elijah Moore because Corey Davis is going to come back. The interesting part is that I think that they see Garrett Wilson as kind of a natural slot. I think they kind of see Corey Davis as Denzel Mims or and Denzel Mims is like the same guy. So there's a chance that uh, Corey Davis coming back actually eats into Denzel Mims uh, routes run more than it eats into Elijah Moore's. But there's really no way of telling until we see that next week. But again, not great for Elijah Moore. Another huge win for the Jets without Elijah Moore really even making a slight impact. I will say I was huge. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys follow me on Twitter at Ron underscore, but I was being an asshole when uh, Elijah Moore came out and wanted to trade. I was like, uh, pretty much at first, I was like, no, don't trade him. Like, this is stupid. But if we're going to make him inactive and then we're going to have him play behind Denzel Mims, like we probably should have just traded him and gotten like, I mean, if, if the Bears got a second for Claypool, I feel like Elijah Moore in a rookie deal probably could have been like two seconds or like a second and a third or something. I probably would have just been fine with that. This feels like a mess. Like, I can't imagine Elijah Moore um, is thrilled right now. He's going into the bye week. They're not featuring him in the offense. Whatever these talks that he's having with LaFleur, they're not going anywhere. Um, so I do kind of feel for him. It sucks. Uh, it sucks all around for fantasy, but um, I wish I wish I could give you guys a positive note there. The only positive is that he's climbing up the depth chart. Where the truth is really going to be in the pudding or the, the proof is going to be in the pudding once we see what things look like with Corey Davis in the mix. I would bet we're going to be disappointed when Corey Davis comes back. We will probably see Denzel Mims probably still ahead of him, which which sucks. Now, moving off from Jets talk, because I know you guys hate when I talk about the Jets for longer than like five minutes. We have number three, which is Joe Mixon had a crazy day. And it just made me curious. Like this is, I mean, it's not like the, the most actionable takeaway of all time, but it was just curious to me. Where does it rank all time in terms of fantasy point performances? And Mixon had 22 carries, 153 yards on the ground, four touchdowns on the ground. Five targets, four catches, fifty-eight yards, and a touchdown. It felt like the like if this was a competitive game where the Bengals weren't up like forty-two to zero at half or whatever they were, I think Mixon probably could have gone for sixty plus. He was on that crazy of a pace through the first half. The Panthers just didn't really make it a game, uh, and I, I don't think that they had a lot of pressure to score late. The Bengals, uh, but still, fifty-five point one PPR points, just the eighth. 55 plus PPR performance from a skill position player there. And it's the eighth highest scoring PPR game ever for a skill position player. Highest scoring game by a running back since Kamara's Christmas six touchdown game explosion, where if you had him, you won your championship because of Kamara. Um, it's also really crazy just to point out Jamal Charles was so ahead of his time, man. 59 and a half, the highest PPR game of all time, Jamal Charles. And the craziest part is that he played running back for the Chiefs, and his stat on the on the ground was eight attempts, twenty yards, and a touchdown. That was his rushing line. He had he didn't even lead the Chiefs in rush attempts, rushing yards, or rushing touchdowns in this game. He scored all of his points: eight catches, one hundred ninety-five yards, four touchdowns through the air. Just absolutely crazy. That was in twenty thirteen when you know. I mean, there was Darren Sproles out there, but you didn't have guys like Eckler and Kamara and all these like receiving backs in that same vein. It's just cool to look at. Jamal Charles, I, I really do think that he kind of walked so guys like Kamara, Eckler, DeAndre Swift, all of these guys who have that archetype could kind of run. Um, Aaron Jones, too. Then we have, I, this, this isn't really a good headline, but Panthers quarterback slash running back situation, they had a really weird day where it was the first time where the, ban the Panthers have looked good with P.J. Walker, right? beat the Bucks. They lose in a really horrific fa or, or really tough fashion 
to the Falcons, hanging tough, playing well. Everything came crashing down today and, or yesterday, and that's like the whole point of what we want to see. We want to see what this offense looks like when they're trailing because that's what we're expecting them to be in that environment most of the time moving forward. And P.J. Walker, completely, completely, his magic completely wore off. He was last in EPA per play in CPOE composite on the day. He had a 30% completion percentage, even though he's expected to have a 65.3% uh, on his 5.4 ADOT. He had two picks, zero touchdowns. He was benched for Baker Mayfield. And the funny part is that Baker Mayfield came in here and had a great day. If you look at his, uh, I mean, 3% CPOE, a 0.59 EPA per play is really, really strong, right? You see Burrow, it's at 0.4. 70% completion for Baker, two touchdowns, zero picks, third in EPA per play in CPOE composite on the day. He looked really, really good. Um, the crazy part is, is that now we have Sam Donald coming back from IR. Uh, I think that he was already designated to be activated or whatever. And I think that they already came out or they already came out and said for Thursday that PJ Walker is going to start again. So if PJ Walker gets pulled, like I think quarterback is going to be almost a carousel for this team moving forward, which is going to be tough to gauge in terms of just like what to do with DJ Moore or what to do with these other receivers. And then you also have the running back room that looked crazy in a trailing game script where, you know, Deonta Foreman's been this absolute stud the last two weeks. And I think the game script here sort of revealed the flaws with Deonta Foreman where the Panthers have been in close games the last two weeks, right? They had the game where they won and they had the game that was close and it was a shootout. But when they trail, that's going to be the tough part for Deonta Foreman because they don't really trust him as a passer. You can see here, third down and two-minute drill, they deferred to Spencer Brown. They deferred to Raheem Blackshear. I don't know why they deferred to Raheem Blackshear on the goal line. Um, I'm not really taking those snaps all that into consideration, but... All I'll say is when we look at the total plays, Blackshear, Spencer Brown, um, they had, I want to say, like 26 plays. Deontay Foreman only had 21. Like th There definitely is a, a spot here so that when Chuba Hubbard comes back, I think you can pencil in Chuba Hubbard for like 55, 60% of the snaps when he comes back if we assume that the Panthers trail in most games that they play in this year, which I think is probably fair for like a bottom five team in the NFL. So Chuba Hubbard is someone to definitely keep your eye on because I think that this just sort of shows – that they're sort of, I wouldn't say keeping the light on for him, but there's definitely a role for him that they don't like Deontay Foreman to be in in terms of, you know, a running back pass catcher when they're trailing in long down situations or in the two-minute drill. And then our, our next takeaway is that face planners have sort of found some life. And we talked about Denzel Mims earlier. He's like, hasn't been terrible. He's starting over Elijah Moore, which is like, imagine coming into the season saying that Denzel Mims would run more routes than Elijah Moore like two or three weeks in a row. It's crazy. He's having a little bit of a resurgence. I also want to talk about Terrace Marshall and just sort of piggyback on our Panthers talk real quick. But Terrace Marshall was a prospect I liked coming out. Uh, I liked him a lot coming out. And then we did the prospect model last year, which is the year after Terrace Marshall's draft class, which revealed to me that Terrace Marshall actually wasn't that great of a prospect. But he's kind of rebounding ever so slightly here. He had six targets on Sunday, three catches, 53 yards, his first NFL touchdown. He had a 20% target share. He ran as many routes as DJ Moore. The week before that, he had a 25% target share, nine targets, four catches, 87 yards. I wouldn't get all that excited. Like, I'm not, I don't think I'm really going to be adding him in redraft leagues and stuff, but he has a pulse. It's interesting. Just something to keep an eye on. Terrace Marshall, there is some hope for our boy. And then also about Rondell Moore. He had 10 targets this week to DeAndre Hopkins, five. He ended up with a 28.5% target share on Sunday. His target total since returning, and I want to say week five, have been 5, 8, 10, 2, 8, 10. So what's that? Two over eight, two, uh, two games at 10, only one game under five targets. 
He's been the wide receiver 25 in points since he's returned. I'm not sure he ever gives you like a top 12 finish or makes or gives you like meaningful production, but I think he's a good player, like a solid player that probably flirts with like a top 24 finish or two during his entire career. Again, I'm not sure that he'll ever make a difference, but I think that he's probably like somewhere between uh, like Tyler Lockett, Kobe Myers, like Russell Gage, like somewhere in that range of just like kind of like PPR magnet doesn't really move the needle a ton, but is interesting. Now our sixth takeaway is the rookie wide receiver report. We missed it last week. I'm going to move everything that, everything down that's either in a bye week or hurt for now. And this is, we, we actually moved it up a little bit. We're going to do rookie wide receivers with minimum 10 targets. And I sorted them by week nine route participation. And up top, we have the man of the hour. The man who was puffing on that Bills pack, Garrett Wilson. His second straight top 15 wide receiver finish in fantasy the last two weeks here. He had nine targets, eight catches, 92 yards versus the Bills, and this is the first time that his PFF grade on the season is over 80 since like week two, which is huge. He now has a higher PFF grade than Drake London through like as many games, which is really, really impressive. Uh, he has a stronger rookie profile as anybody else. His yards per out run is coming up to 1.91. Target per out run is great. He is a full-time starting wide receiver now where he was kind of mixing in around like 60% of the routes. He has run 97% plus or 95% plus the last two weeks. He is now the featured guy and all the chemistry he had with Flacco and the concerns, oh, he might not have chemistry with uh, Zach Wilson. I even thought that Zach Wilson would have more chemistry with guys like Corey Davis and Elijah Moore. That has all worn off. They love Garrett Wilson. He is the guy in those walls. I think that he has finally sort of earned that wide receiver one spot. If the Jets were to release a depth chart, which obviously like no team does, but I think going into the year, they probably would have had like Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, Garrett Wilson. I think now it's probably Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis, Denzel Mims, Elijah Moore, which you hate to see, but climb up the depth chart per route numbers are great. 80 plus PFF grades elite. He has a strong of a rookie profile, you know, first year as anybody in this class right now. Then we have a Drake London down game. Do you hate to see his lowest PFF grade of the year? He had just 54.2 receiving grade this week. He caught just three of seven targets for 23 yards. He hasn't scored 10 or more PPR points since week three. The per data, the per route data is still strong, right? 26.6% target per route run. 1.78 yards per route run is fine. 80 plus PFF grade. It's all there. I'm still bullish long-term. We just need to see some production soon. And even if we don't, I think Drake London is a great dynasty buy for that reason. I think a lot of guys are looking at, you know, what are his, what is his output? And I keep seeing him moved on like keep trade cut and all these places to like wide receiver like, 15, 16, 17, 18. I just did my dynasty rankings update this week, and I think I put him at wide receiver eight, and this game doesn't really budge me off that. So I think Drake London is a great buy low in dynasty, and redraft's a little bit tougher just because of this offensive environment being so bad for fantasy, but it is what it is. We have Alec Pierce, uh, 81% route participation, which is good, right? He's getting more, he's running more routes. He had a down game this week, though. Didn't really have the same, like last week, he kind of popped. He had like the best receiving grade of the week. This week, not so much. Tyquan Thornton, week seven, 93% route participation, goes down to 84%, goes down to 67%. His playing time is coming down. His per route efficiency is just straight up awful, 0.62 yards per route run, under 55 PFF grade. Tyquan Thornton, to me, at this point, is not it. I would say that he's probably trending towards face planning. Christian Watson still can't finish a game. Romeo Dobbs gets hurt. It looks like it's finally time for Christian Watson to sort of get his shine. I think that he got, I think he got a concussion again, man. He keeps getting hurt. And obviously you can't really blame the player. It's just very frustrating because he's definitely trending towards face planning, right? But 
I would like to see what he can do with like 60% plus of the routes for like three to four games in a row. Christian Watson's still interesting to me. I just hope that he can get right, man. Just get healthy. I don't know. You hate to see it. He keeps he keeps getting banged up and like bounced from games early. Uh, you also have Sky Moore. This one is tough, man. He's still hovering around like a 25% route participation. Per route efficiency is coming down, right? He's hovering around like 15% target per route run, 1.27 yards per route run. That's not great. Like ideally you want 20% plus target per route run. You want like 1.75 plus yards per route run. You want like a 70 plus PFF receiving grade. None of that's there. They bring in Kadarius Tony. Kadarius Tony should probably start seeing more snaps soon. It's not looking great for Sky Moore here. Uh, Dom's also left with injury, so you can't really say much about him. And uh, Kaloshikur ran zero routes this week, which is weird. But, I mean, the Jets, I mean, the Bills didn't expect to lose to the Jets. I don't really know why they didn't feature Kaloshikur, but I imagine because, like, the game was so close, they didn't really want to feature a rookie. That's just kind of what I'm thinking there. Now, just, you know, keep an eye out for Chris Olave tonight on Sunday Night Football. Uh, I'll probably update the rookie wide receiver report tomorrow for those of you guys that are in the discord if you want to join the discord that'll be down below in the description uh our next takeaway though is going to be the trade deadline watch which we'll just do for this one week but i kind of just wanted to highlight uh, a couple of the the big names that were moved at the deadline and just sort of see how they were used in their first week now naeem hines gets traded to the buffalo bills and the bills keep like they keep wanting this role that doesn't make sense like you have josh allen the last thing you want is for josh allen to check it down to a running back like just have josh allen run josh allen took off yesterday against the jets defense one of the best in the league on a scramble and he just beat the entire team to the end zone he was one-on-one with a cornerback and because he's josh allen he's like 6'5 250 pounds no one wants to tackle him if that play turns into just a dump off to naeem hines it's like a six yard gain and who knows if that drive just stalls down to kick a field goal Regardless, their front office wants this, right? They spend the second round pick on James Cook. They trade for Naeem Hines. They want somebody in this weird, like, J.D. McKissick satellite back role. And even with all that being said, in this game, Singletary runs 13 of 18 snaps in the third down spots, in the two-minute drill spots. Um, I do think that Naeem Hines is still learning the playbook. He only played three snaps. He should work in more. I imagine that he'll start to take away those third down and two-minute drill snaps. I think if you want to spin a positive, the fact that James Cook only took three of those snaps means that they're not really all that interested in having James Cook run in that role full time at all so I think that you'll see Naeem Hines sort of just take over from Devin Singletary as we go further and that will be sort of a valuable role but yeah uh, Naeem Hines only played three snaps I think that that is obviously going to come up here we have Jeff Wilson who was one of our must starts man and a lot of you guys were in the comments saying Ron you're bugging for this Jeff Wilson call how is Jeff Wilson a must start and on those videos of course it says like five players you must start but I literally went over the premise of the video in the intro and said, hey, guys, these are players that I'm higher than consensus on. If you're down bad, you can start these guys. Jeff Wilson was one. I started Jeff Wilson in some places, and it was it was great. I told I, I said, he knows McDaniel. McDaniel had Edmonds and Mostert, two backs that were like under 205 pounds. It was very clear that he wanted a bigger guy for, you know, between the tackles uh, carries. You don't want to have Raheem Mostert, a guy who's fragile and small, handling 20 or like 15, 16, 17, 18 carries a game. It made sense to bring in Jeff Wilson and have him featured pretty much right away. He comes in, he scores fantasy points, he plays great. Uh, if you have Raheem Mostert, it's kind of a little bit of a rain on your parade here. You had essentially a workhorse running back for free off of waivers. I would say that Raheem Mostert gets a slight downgrade. I would say Jeff Wilson gets an upgrade. And they're both probably like top 25 to 35-ish plays week in and week out if the snaps look like this moving forward. Then we have Chase Claypool. And this one was interesting. Uh, similar to Naeem Hines, you know, he didn't play a full 
a diet of routes or snaps, but he was still at 16 routes here, uh, technically tied for third in routes, but six targets is really, really promising, where it's clear that they want to get him involved. The routes are only going to go up. I imagine the targets will stay the same or increase, so they want to get him involved. I think that eventually he'll learn the playbook. He'll get featured on more routes. Uh, really positive stuff for Claypool. And then same thing for Hawkinson, man. But the crazy part about Hawkinson is he didn't have any, like, uh, I guess, ramp up like these other guys did. Hawkinson slotted right in like uh, Jeff Wilson. But the crazy part is it's not like he has, right? I don't think that he would have, yeah, he doesn't have any prior experience with Kevin O'Connell, I don't think. But he slots right in here. 37 routes run. You guys can see that's barely less routes run than guys like Thielen and Justin Jefferson. He had an 88% route participation which is elite. We want like 80% plus. Hawkinson was out there for 80% or 88%. He had nine targets, which was a 26% target share in just his first game with a new team. And it was his second highest PPR scoring game of the year behind just like that wild week four explosion versus Seahawks. This, I wasn't really expecting much from Hawkinson, but this is like a clear situational upgrade for Hawkinson if any of this sticks. The raw participation is great, clear quarterback upgrade. He's getting featured more again. His best PPR game of the year outside of like the wild, like one-off Seahawks game. Really promising for Hawkinson. And then the last guy we'll talk about is Kadarius Tony. And Kadarius Tony isn't really featured. Six routes. It's clear that they want to get him involved, though. Two targets on six routes is like, obviously, you don't want to extrapolate target prout run on six routes. But, you know, what? One third of the times that he was running routes, they wanted to get the ball in his hands. It seems like, I think that the only touches he had were like in the first 20 minutes, which I imagine... Those are the plays that he just knew. Uh, I think eventually he will get worked in. It's going to be really interesting to see. I think I think his floor is probably climbing ahead of just Justin Watson and routes run. His ceiling is probably trying to get past McCole Hardman and Marquez Valdez-Scanling, but I'm not sure how easy that will be for him. Same thing with Sky Moore here, and he's competing with Sky Moore. It's a crowded wide receiver room. The bet is that Tony is talented enough to climb up that, but it definitely is an uphill battle for Tony. Now our eighth takeaway... DeAndre Swift malpractice, bro. Like, it's actually so annoying that they fire up DeAndre Swift to give him 10 snaps. He was outsnapped by Justin Jackson. He had just eight PPR points. He had only five touches, DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift hasn't had more than, he hasn't touched the ball more than 10 times in a single game since week one. I would love if they could just shut him down, let him get right. Like, I don't understand why they keep playing him on limited snaps. Like, if he's not good, if he's not good to go, shut him down for a couple weeks and then bring him back when he can handle a workload. Like, it's absolutely insane to me that they keep, like, you know, sort of stringing him along, having him play limited snaps. Like, just if he's healthy, play him. If he's not healthy, don't play him. Uh, it's very annoying for fantasy because we keep firing him up, and then it's like, nope, he's actually just going to get 10 touches here. Um, for sure, concerning for the rest of the season outlook, this is a team that is losing games. I, I will say that they're definitely not a, a team that's going to roll over and shut anybody down, it doesn't seem like. So I'm not sure I'm all that concerned about DeAndre Swift like being shut down or anything, but we need him to get healthy soon here. Like he hasn't, you draft him to be like a top running back. Week one was super encouraging. Since then, he hasn't even sort of sniffed week one or kind of like his first eight week stretch from last season. So we need him to either get shut down or play like 50% of the snaps very soon here. If you drafted him in redraft, our next takeaway here and takeaway number nine is Isaiah Spiller stock watch. Um, Isaiah Spiller was a, a prospect I liked out of uh, Texas A&M. He was actually seen like him and Brees Hall were the big two in this draft class, uh, or I guess him, Brees Hall, and Kenneth Walker. And then Kenneth Walker didn't get the draft capital, so he fell to the fourth round. 
was slept on. A lot of people said, okay, he fell to the fourth round for a reason. He's not a target anymore. I still liked him. He, you know, hit all my receiving thresholds. Uh, 21-year-old early declare. Uh, he produces a freshman. There's a lot to like there. He wasn't an athlete, didn't have the draft capital. But outside of that, he looked like somebody that can catch passes and be interesting for fantasy. To this point, he has been like a healthy scratch uh, for a lot of these games. He hasn't really been featured. But we're starting to see him get featured a little bit, a little bit more here where he had his first snaps in week seven with just one rush attempt. And then after the bye, he comes in here, gets that bumped up to 13 snaps for seven rushes, which is really good. 29 yards, seven rushes, about four yards per carry. That'll do. Um, I will say he's known as more of a uh, receiving back. So Sony Michelle having the third down snaps and the two minute drill snaps, we're hoping that Spiller can kind of mix in there. It seems like they sort of seem, see Spiller as a between-the-tackles grinder, and Sony Michelle is like a secondary uh, receiving back. So it might be tough to sort of get Isaiah Spiller to prove himself to the coaches that he can be in that other role, but just something I would like to see. Just keep an eye on it. I wouldn't really say stock up crazy. Like, I wouldn't go buy Isaiah Spiller, but he at least has a pulse right now. Like, he was healthy scratch from weeks one through six. It was looking ugly. Now there's some optimism to be had for Isaiah Spiller, and our last takeaway is that Malik Willis is showing some life here. He covered the spread in Arrowhead last night. He goes in there as 12-point underdogs, and he walks out of there losing 20-17, to 17, which wasn't terrible. Uh, he did have a 31% completion percentage, which is really bad, but he did have three big-time throws. He had zero turnover-worthy plays in like a 12-yard A dot, which is strong. He's also throwing to scrubs, right? He has like Robert Woods, Nick Westbrook, Akine. He's throwing to nobody's out there. Austin Hooper, Chico Conquo. But... I loved what I saw. There were some flashes there. He looked great on the ground. He was running this read option game with Derrick Henry. And Todd Downing, the OC for the Titans, is awful. But if they could get anybody creative, like Greg Roman sucks in terms of like, okay, we really want the Ravens to pass the ball. But in terms of like going from Joe Flacco to Lamar Jackson and really, you know, building that offense around Lamar Jackson from Joe Flacco, like sort of just changing your identity entirely. If the Titans just leaned into Malik Willis and Derrick Henry in the backfield with like read option and misdirection, and using Malik Willis to their sort of advantage, I think that it would be a really pretty sight to see. Like, you know, limit Malik Willis, like maybe like 15 attempts in a game and really sort of get funky with, you know, motions and read options and triple options and just like QB powers and counters and stuff. I think, I, I, I doubt we'll see that creativity from Dodd Downing, but I would love to see it. Um, regardless, was great at evading pressure. He showed flashes. That's really all we can ask for. Definitely not a great game. He didn't produce for fantasy, but... He looks like if you wanted to chase the next like Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, like rushing threat, I think it would be Malik Willis. Again, it's a really, really, it's a much more fragile bet than those guys, right? Only third round draft capital hasn't looked that great. But if we look back at early Jalen Hurts and early Justin Fields, there's going to be some hiccups. These young quarterbacks take time to develop. It's tough because I'm, I'm not sure how much the Titans will give Malik Willis. It's only a third round pick to sort of develop and sort of see him as the guy, but if he shows flashes here, maybe that could happen down the road. I kind of like him as, as a sneaky buy in Dynasty. I've liked him as a sneaky die in Dynasty. I've had him as a sneaky buy. Um, but he's someone where I, I, he's showing life. He's showing life. I don't think that I would really bump him up in Dynasty at all, but something to keep an eye on. Now, that is going to do it for us today. I'm going to go eat lunch and then go right back to work, pump out a waiver wire video for you guys tomorrow. We're back on our grind, back on our nonsense. Hope you guys enjoyed. I decided to go a little bit extra hard for that Top 10 Lessons Learned video since we didn't have one last week. Bunch of notes, more notes, more notes, more content for the people. Now that is going to do it for us today. If you enjoyed, make sure to down below, subscribe, leave a like, and I will see you guys 
in the next one. I got the juice, I got the juice. Tenno, Chatham's on. Foolies glad I'm on. Even my haters kind of glad I'm on. Rest in peace to my bag of on. Rapper song, singer, suspended subpoena from Mr. Meaner.